Welcome back to another week of Hand of Pod. Last week we all got very sweaty um, having in this non-air-conditioned flat having to close all of the windows so as not to allow the sound in uh, with four people sitting around it turns out it actually generates some heat. I'm Sam Kelly and I'm joined this week to review the first round of action in the Monster Tournament, Monster Championship by Peter Coates. Hello. And a long absentee, a long-term absentee, Santiago Munyagurria is back. Hi everyone, nice to be back. Welcome back, Santi, and indeed congratulations, you've got engaged since you were last on. Yep, that's true, so thank you. Uh, this is the point of the show, the first of the two points in the show, where I remind everybody that uh, Fernet is being very generously paid for by the folk at the Argentina Independent, in return for which we recommend them to you as a fine source of English language news from Argentina and indeed across Latin America. You can find them at argentinaindependent.com. Um, and now, on with the show, because we have worked out that if we give every match that took place in the Primera over the weekend six minutes of airtime, then this show will be an hour and a half long just for that, before we even get to Mystic Sam and Mystic Questions and all the other stuff. So obviously we're not going to give every match six minutes of airtime, because that would be silly. It's something that we've never done before anyway. I was just curious as to how long each one would fill up with our average show length. Um, the championship began the day after the last episode went online with Belles Sandsfield beating Albacivi 2-0. I'm going to quickly run through all of the results we might as well, otherwise we are going to end up just not mentioning some matches because there were so many. Then Racing lost, hilariously, I apologise for the squeaking by the way, I'm sitting on a very creaky chair. Uh, Racing, the champions of Argentina, began their defence with a 1-0 home defeat to Rosario Central with ever-reliable goalkeeper Sebastián Saja largely to blame for the goal. On Saturday, Gimnasia, I apologise, my voice ran away with me there. On Saturday, Gimnasia Grima La Plata lost 1-0 at home to Defensa y Justicia. San Lorenzo beat Colón de Santa Fe 2-0. Godoy Cruz and San Martín de San Juan drew the first Clásico of the season 1-1. Newell's Old Boys and Independiente served up, to nobody's surprise, probably the most entertaining match of the weekend, and it ended 3-2 to Independiente. Uh, Banfield lost 1-0 at home to a stoppage time free kick from Juan Dineno of Tempele. Crucero del Norte opened their Primera account with a point at home to Tigre in a 0-0 draw. Quilmes lost 1-0 at home to Lanús uh, on, in the first of Sunday's matches. Union beat Huracán 1-0. Boca Juniors got an easy 3-1 win over Olimpo. Argentinos got a very easy 2-0 win over Atletico de Rafaela, which I was at. Um, before River Plate were made to sweat a little bit at times but ran out 4-1 winners away to Sarmiento and then on Monday evening Arsenal de Sarandí Santi's team of course lost 1-0 at home to Estudiantes and Belgrano de Córdoba beat Nueva Chicago 3-1 Gentlemen 
It goes on and on, right? To allow myself some time to breathe, I would now like one of you two to pitch in with an idea of uh, what we've learned from the first weekend of action about the league in general rather than any specific teams. Um, in my opinion, I've seen a couple, uh, a couple of matches where it's, it's clear that there are a few teams that would not be in a normal Primera División tournament. Um, we've seen our share, our first share of really even tournaments in the Argentine Primera, and this looks like it's uh, not going to be the case. There's uh, a few teams that are clearly um, a couple heads above the rest, and there are also a couple teams that are clearly below uh, the standards. So it's going to make for a, a different uh, tournament in, in those terms, at least. Yeah, I think we kind of touched on it in the, the preview mm -hmm. last week that we suspected that there would be this breakaway of some of the teams that, as you said, wouldn't normally have been promoted. And I think we did kind of see that from the from those opening fixtures. I mean, you, did, you said, Sam, there that River made to sweat a little by Sarmiento at times, but eventually, even with them playing quite well... Yeah, and they playing not too well. Exactly. They ended up losing 4-1. It was just this sort of golfing class that eventually told and unfortunately you yeah. sort of think is are we just going to end up seeing that yeah, <laughs> every it's, week it's coming the it reminded me, weeks, right? it reminded mm -hmm. me in the latter stages of uh, what I've been doing the previous weekend which was uh, staying in a very nice hotel in Pilar um, on the International Tennis Federation where I was covering the uh, Argentina the USA Fed Cup tennis tie uh, which involved uh, seeing Argentina's number one and number two, Paolo Amacheo and Mary Irigoshin, who I think in the world are around number 120 and around number 197, I think Mary is at the moment, um, playing against the Williams sisters. And it was, on the one hand, obviously the Argentine girls were playing on a clay court, which they were far more used to. Uh, it's their home court. They're both known as battlers, and they made a couple of sets of the matches much more competitive than maybe the rankings would have suggested. But on the other, you could just see that the Williams sisters both had an extra gear to get into when the match really got competitive and were able to sort of ease past them. And River against Sarmiento very much reminded me of, of, of that. Sarmiento are going to win a few fans, I think, this season. And they're, certainly they've started with arguably the, the toughest match they're going to have all year, actually, was the very first one, you could say. Um, but yeah, it, they're one of the sides who you would have to fear are going to be right in the mix for those yeah. Only two, remember, relegation spots yeah. at the end of the season. Um, it also happened, um, I, I watched the Vélez Aldo Civi match and there was, uh, there was a big difference between the teams, even with Vélez um, still not quite kicking into gear with all their um, new players. And we mentioned and last week how Vélez didn't seem to have signed very well um, because they let Lucas Prato go and didn't seem yeah. to have fully replaced him particularly well um, yeah. Mariano Pavone coming in for instance it was all very sort of oh I don't know about that um, but we did forget to mention and of course Santa you will not have forgotten it if you were here uh, that they did sign Milton Caraglio mm -hmm. who whilst I think as Peter put it to me on Twitter during the match he's not going to make Venice's play any prettier um, he's started quite well he scored both of the goals in that 2-0 win uh, how much are Arsenal going to miss him? Um, a lot, yeah. I think um, even though Arsenal has uh, signed Pochi Chavez of um, Boca fame, um, trying to kind of um, replace Caraglio, um, it's not just Caraglio though. We've lost a great number of 
key players. Um, Aleman is obviously the the most important one, and then uh, um, Arsenal legends, you could uh, call them so, because um, a few players that have been with Arsenal from the youth squad uh, onwards and for a good number of years, such as Nervo, uh, who went to Huracan, uh, Aguirre to Lanús. So there's uh, quite a number of players that Arsenal are going to miss this season. Um, and Caraglio, he, he's uh, not going to be easy to replace. Indeed. And uh, another thing that we suspected last week, and has indeed been confirmed uh, by the manner of their first opening weekend, albeit victory, uh, was that Independiente really didn't learn anything from last season. <laughs> <laughs> Victor Cuestor, Cuesta, is it? And, uh, sorry, Victor Nicolas Figal and Victor Cuesta as the centre-back partnership. The rest of the team looked fantastic. Those two are going to cause you some sleepless nights, aren't they, Peter, this year? Yeah, I mean, in their defence, um, the two goals were they weren't really culpable for those. I mean, the first no, being Tagliafico giving away a penalty, and the second one being incredibly sloppy from the, from Independiente's own corner and being hit on the break. Um, I mean, yeah, the, I, I, as we said last week, I don't think Independiente they really strengthened where you'd have thought they would, um, but they have signed some very good players, which I think we we also saw at the other end. Um, but but maybe in if I was being an optimist, then you you might suggest that Almiron is now being able to put together a team that he of more of his liking. Mm. Um, and Independiente haven't really settled upon a formation really under Almiron. I mean, when he first came in, he tried to play three at the back. Then later on in the transition, changed to playing more often than not four two three one. And then all of a sudden, was this was on Saturday was the first time really we switched to a see a four four two, and well, put another. Emilio you know, Papa in midfield. I yeah, that's yeah. partly because he is a bit worried about the defence and wants more defensively minded. Yeah, but defensively I, responsible, let's say. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not too. I'm not too bothered about that. I mean, I think some people have said, oh, I've gone out and bought two left backs," but essentially, I think it both the both the left backs they bought are probably better going forward than they are defending. Mm. But they're, but they're also both familiar with the responsibilities of playing at left-back. So I think it could work quite well in ensuring sh- up those flanks in that if Tagliafico or Papa overlaps, then the other one knows the responsibilities of dropping back. So I'm not that concerned there. But it will be interesting if they stick with a 4-4-2, whether the players will become a bit more accustomed to playing in a new formation. On the uh, rest of the big five, having briefly talked about Independiente, we'll begin with Racing since they played first. Um, and conceded very early a uh, goal to is it Franco Serbi Franco Serbi really interesting player um, is, I, I, I was um, he called my attention on the second to last uh, Racing match of last season Racing were away to Rosario Central and this was just this kid's second game and Racing won 3-0 but what a lot of people don't remember is that on the first 20 minutes Rosario looked like they were closer to the 2-0 or 3-0 than the well, first goal. It was actually it was a horrendously offside goal which gave Racing the, the lead which changed yeah, the match. Yeah, exactly. And before that, Serbi himself had had a, a good number of chances and also a really good shot that Saha um, catched uh, on the top corner. So he had this amazing match against Racing and then uh, obviously um, Racing ended up uh, turning it over. But this is um, a really interesting player that I think he'll um, 
still raise some eyebrows this season. And the goal went in uh, mere seconds, either before or after, depending on which Twitter statistician you follow. Uh, <laughs> according to the stadium clock, the club record keeper, it was just after um, Saha broke the supposed club record for for the longest period of time in wrestling history without conceding a goal in consecutive appearances because uh, he, he hit 587 minutes. The gentleman who actually holds the record is uh, Sejas. I forgot his first name. Oh. I was hoping you'd know it, Santi. Peter, <laughs> you? No. Uh, somebody Sejas, uh, who has 666 minutes. And I know what you're thinking. 587 minutes is not as long a time as 666 minutes. Um, the reason that uh, Sejas was... Uh, claimed to have broken the record was that Sejas' uh, run involved two matches played in 1965 and then he didn't play for a few months I think he got injured or suspended for a long time or something uh, and he next played in 1966 when he then put together a run which just that run on its own is what Saha um, has, has just managed to either just beat or almost level uh, before Serbi's goal and of course this is Argentine statistic keeping so nobody's really that bothered there are one or two people pointing out that it's a bit daft but apart from that who cares they want the record now so they've got it um, Racing it must be said did pick themselves up quite impressively from that opening day defeat because they have had their debut in the Copa Libertadores already um, they were away on Tuesday night to Deportivo Táchira in Venezuela and they ran out 5-0 winners against what, it must be said, were just awful opponents. Um, it was a really dull match, and I had to sit through and watch all of it in the pub. It was just dreadful. But Racing did play all right, um, and scored some very nice goals. Mm, yeah, and Gustavo Bow's form is just... Uh, Bow got a hat-trick and one assist. Diego two Melito, assists. Two assists, sorry, yeah. right, yeah. Diego Melito scored once and set one up. Yeah. Yes, that's right. No, two up. Two up. No, he said, he said yeah. two up as well. Um, it's uh, it's unbelievable how a player that was almost kicked out of Olimpo less than a year ago can pick up his form in such a way. I, I, I'm just you know, uh, if you see the goals, he, there's the third goal that he scores. He he grabs a ball that Saha kicks to him, something like 50 meters away from him. He just puts it down with one with his right foot and with the same foot in the same movement he nails it yeah. it's an absolute screamer of a goal and the second one was uh, really good as well Just we've, we've got a question about the second one later so we won't go into too much detail on it now but Racing therefore have begun their Copa Libertadores campaign in good fashion we're currently watching Boca Juniors beginning their uh, Copa Libertadores campaign they're 16 minutes in to their own group stage 36 match minutes. 36 minutes sorry I don't know why I said 16 um, to their own group stage match away to Palestino of Chile um, we have a couple more there, is there another game later on there is isn't there is it San Lorenzo um, yeah is it tomorrow I think it's tomorrow statistics it might well be tomorrow yeah but I can don't play until next week uh, and yeah you're right tomorrow is San Lorenzo against can we remember who this is getting embarrassing now isn't it let's see whether we can wait for the thingy to look and then yeah, at 10 o'clock uh, oh, Danubio, yes, quite right. They're away to Danubio, well done, Peter. Uh, at, I think it's quarter to eight, and then at ten o'clock, um, River Plate begin their campaign away to San Jose in Potosi, Oruro. altitude in Bolivia. It is Potosi, isn't it? I think. Oruro. 
Aurora, thank you. Uh, high altitude, anyway. Um, to to uh, to some. So, how do we think Argentine sides just veering away from the league because we're being dreadfully um, un, unstructured today? So, in fact, no, let's stay on the league and move to the Libertadores a little bit later. Boca Juniors have just scored. Who was that? Palacios. Chavez? Chavez. No, I think it was Palacios. It's very awkward picking it out on uh, Palacios. Is there in the scrum? I'm going to go for Chavez. We'll find out in a second. Um, let's stick to the league just for a moment. Come back to the Libertadores later. San Lorenzo uh, have had iffy domestic form, really, for the last year because they've been prioritising the Libertadores so much. It is Chavez. Thank you. I was right. Um, but they started well with a 2-0 win against Colón. But again, Colón are another one of these sides who probably wouldn't be in the Primera if it hadn't been expanded to 30 teams. And so how much... The test is that really? How impressed were you by San Lorenzo? Uh, I thought Colón <laughs> bloody awful. So Colón was just phenomenally unambitious. Um, yeah, which made it like a training match almost for San Lorenzo. I mean, there's like a, a stroll. I mean, they just had so much possession, able just to. Yeah, it was a it was a walk in the park. Really, the main thing to say about the match, in fact, was that Colón manager. Reynaldo Merlo, Mustard Merlo, as long-term listeners will remember him, uh, was sacked after the match. So Argentina's first managerial career, uh, career, Argentina's first managerial casualty of the year uh, has come after the first round of games. Um, it's not just one defeat that led into this. As we say, Colón were very bad and this had been feared over the summer. Uh, there were players and fans expressing disquiet about how they were playing. Um, but it's still slightly surprising to me that they've gone for it quite this early because he only took charge four matches from the from the end of last season. Yeah, exactly. So you can't even really be blamed for anything from last season. No. So it seems to be just really on the back of the bottom of his arm. His run at the end of last season was two wins, one draw, one defeat. And it was thanks to those results that they actually got over the line and managed to get promoted when it looked initially as if they might not have, have done so. Uh, and a 2-0 defeat, OK, they were, as we say, they were awful, but they were away to the champions of South America. So I can't help wondering whether there's something just a little bit more even than the squad arguing about it and everything that, that, that is coming in here. Because now, if anything, they've just added the pressure even higher onto subsequent matches. If they don't improve instantly under whoever they now appoint, they're in trouble, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it's obvious that something has happened that hasn't come to light. Um, it won't come from Mostaza's lips. He's an old-fashioned trainer who has his códigos held up high. Mm. So it, it may be a, a while until we know exactly what's, uh, what's happened with Mostaza's sacking. Um, but, yeah, just one match, that doesn't, doesn't make any sense, really. Now, the other big five uh, results, uh, of course, we've already mentioned San Miento against River, but River came to life when they needed to come to life, as we say, and, and apart from that, were not brilliant, but better than they were in the first round of the last championship when they drew 1-1 away to Gimnasia. Football Permitido, which is the kind of TV publica uh, version of, not exactly match of the day, there's more talking and fewer highlights, but... Um, uh, football talk show after the last match on Sunday evening which in this case was the River match uh, spent quite some time pointing out that you know this, this River aren't the same as the River that started the last championship off then 
that, that, that river won matches really easily and they seem to have forgotten that actually the river has started the last championship began with a 1-1 draw and quite a poor performance um, which is what we had here but the other uh, big five game was Boca Juniors 3-1 victory over Olimpo and now I have to hope like hell that one of you two at least saw the match because I didn't I was out I think Dino's a good time to go Rafaela Santi shake his head I saw bits of it because I had to go to wait for a bus and then oh, I was trying to watch it through like a cafe <laughs> window you disappoint me so <laughs> um, I, I watched only the first half and um, how was the first half of this well um, it was uh, it, it ended up as a 1-1 but really Boca held uh, most of the possession and mm. it, it was a fairly one-sided uh, affair um, Gago had a really, really nice um, match. Scored really the penalty. Scored a penalty as well, yeah. Is he going to be the new taker now then, given that they've had a, such a major overhaul of all their attacking personnel? Mm. Could be. The other, the other irony is that uh, with all of the players that they've replaced, it's one of the kicks that they were trying to kick out hmm. but couldn't, who scored the two goals that rescued their bacon in the end, uh, because saved their bacon, sorry, uh, because Sebastián Palacios came on with it says here, half an hour to go and scored in the 72nd minute and in the 85th minute to put the gloss on the scoreline and indeed hand Boca the points. Um, I think that Boca are going to, uh, as we're watching them at the moment, they're obviously they're, they're playing a side who are not as, as used to the company of Edadores, let's say, kindly to Palestino as, as Boca are. But I think that Boca are going to eventually manage to play their way into something like form, especially looking as I did for the first time really last night at Boca's Libertadores group draw um, <laughs> which given that they're very lucky to even be in the Libertadores this year having won it through the desktop uh, the in, in the office rather than on the pitch um, is fortuitous I would say other big talking points however of the league before we go on to the Libertadores this weekend we have got to give an honourable mention to the Crucero del Monte pitch uh, Obviously, those of us who are paying attention to the Bay Nacional over the last couple of years were maybe aware that it was uh, going to happen. I don't think anybody was quite expecting it to have as much of an effect, seemingly, as it did. Do we think the Crucero del Norte are going to become difficult to beat in their own stadium as a result of this? Because um, Gustavo Alfaro, the Tigre manager, seems to think so. Uh, I think it's just a matter of time for teams to start um, realising that this is the case when they're going to play in this pitch. The grass is insanely overgrown. It's, it looks more like a rug mm-hmm. than a proper football pitch. Um, the ball just won't roll. Uh, it gets stopped at every possible second. Uh, it's really hard to play um, a ground game in, in, in this field. But um, I think there are another, another team that's um, probably too weak to be in a normal Primera Championship. So. I think it's just a matter of time for, for teams to start figuring out um, a way to beat them at their own game. You know, it's um, long balls, uh, lots of crosses, and two teams won't have to do so, of course, because Independiente and River Plate both play them in uh, a neighbouring province where Crucero and not they've decided to move their two home matches against big five opponents uh, because there aren't enough football fans in Misiones. <laughs> I don't reckon that anybody's going to give enough of a toss about the visit of. River and Independiente I'm not quite sure whether they're correct but anyway bigger stadium and also a pitch that River and Independiente will probably be better suited to than Brazil and Arte, so. so we shall see how that one goes um, are there major talking points of the weekend gentlemen can you think of any just looking through the results again uh, I guess uh, Tempele winning of course 
Tempane's first match back in the Primera in 27 years. I apologise again for squeaking. I can't sit perfectly still. Um, they did it the hard way because they had a person, a person called Gaston Aguirre, a centre-back, sent off in the 26th minute um, and then had to hang on with 10 men before, as I already mentioned, in stoppage time, Juan Dineno um, scored a daisy cutter of a free kick about 25 yards out into the low bottom corner. The low bottom corner. That'll do. Um, to win it 1-0 and the team were going absolutely nuts. They were celebrating as if they just won the Libertadores after the game. Um, but welcome back to the Primera Tempele and well done on a, a very good performance against a Banfield side who actually had a proper goalkeeper for the first time in six months. Uh, it was it felt, I thought. You thought? Yeah. Set the wall up a bit, if it didn't they? Yeah, I mean, it, it's his responsibility that where it went. And I think, he should, well, I don't know. I need to see it again. But I remember thinking even even when he got down to it, he should have been able to get something on it because he seemed to dive over the ball, mm. if anything. But I'm not a goalkeeper, certainly not to the standards of playing <laughs> professionally. So maybe I'm not the best person to criticise. It is his first match back in like eight months as well. Enrique Bologna is the goalkeeper we're talking about. Um, so maybe he's going to be a bit rusty at first, who knows. Um, um, what's interesting about uh, Temperley is that they were the team with the lowest budget in the whole B Nacional. Um, Having only been promoted yeah, at the end yeah. of 2013-14. From the B Metro. Um, they, a lot of teams on the B Nacional uh, spent insane amounts of money just to get into this big chance of going into this uh, monster mm. Primera. Um, Argentinos are in insane depth, for example, same for Nueva Chicago, Colón, there's a number of... one of the ones who've had to cut their budget by uh, down to one third of what it was for the last six months because they spent so badly to come straight back up to the Primera. Exactly. Um, so that makes Temperley's win and um, it makes it a, a lot more, more valuable. I think they're, uh, they've got by far the lowest budget in the Primera División and they've managed to start off quite well. I think I'm right in saying that Tempele the only one of the newly promoted sides yeah. who got a victory apart from uh, Union, whose victory came against Oracan, who are another one of the newly promoted sides. So Tempele the only side uh, to win against a, let's call it, say, incumbent um, Primera División side um, of any of the newly one. promoted ones. I think. Because Nueva Chicago lost to Belgrano. Sarmiento lost to River. No, I can think. Oh, Argentinos, yeah, of yeah. course. I, I think of them as an established Primera yeah, side, yeah. that's why, yeah. Argentinos, the game I was at, uh, was was the other one. You're quite right, Peter, well done. And um, it was all right. I was surprised. I was expecting it, as I said last week, to be awful, uh, because I've been to several Argentinos matches in the last couple of years, and they generally have been. But Argentinos played all right. Atletico Rafaela were not particularly good. Um, and a very nice second goal for Andres mm. Franzoy, a little, nice little team move up the pitch. Um, unfortunately the far end of the pitch from where I was sitting but still nice to see um, and nice to see a, a goal from open play for Argentinos as well because the opener was from Alexis Nice uh, who is a Atletico Rafaela defender who really passes on goalkeeper last time that the first goal of an Argentinos Juniors league campaign was an own goal by an opponent Argentinos won the championship it was the 2010 Clausura so you know, I'm not going to say anything just yet, but uh, <laughs> got your team to watch there. Uh, what did you make of Atletico Rafael? Because I mean, on in, on paper, that's a not a very good result to start the season. They 
looked, whilst not being anywhere near as conservative away from home as Colon were, I was slightly surprised by how unadventurous they were. Having said that, um, first of all, Roberto Sensini has kind of uh, recognised that fact. He's bringing a couple of players in to go more attacking this weekend. Um, and also, of course, they've, they've lost Lucas Abatengo, mm-hmm. who you, Peter, have, as an independiente fan, are now aware of what a, a good focal point for the attack he is. And it's going to take him a while, I think, to, uh, to, to, to rejig the attack around that, particularly because he's really the only absolutely key player from last season who they have lost and so the other players have got to get used to playing a new system obviously it should help them out in the, in the long run the fact that they haven't had too much of a high turnover um, but yeah I, was, I wasn't too impressed with them they, they didn't turn it into a particularly competitive match I was just very pleasantly surprised that Argentinos actually managed to do some attacking and, and get their foot on the ball from time to time and get forward particularly given of course that Riquelme has gone Pablo Ledesma isn't around now um, and they're having to go to a bunch of players that they've just signed uh, in the hope of staying up. Um, I think that that concludes our, our league rundown, doesn't it? Does anybody else have any comments on the other matches? Um, I watched um, Belgrano against Chicago uh, on Monday night. Uh, it was a it was a nice a nice game. Um, Chicago were uh, with one more man. I mean, Belgrano were one man down by I think the thirty minute. On the first half, mm. there were two were goals and two. one man down. Yeah. Uh, sorry, two goals up. Two goals and up one down. and one man down. And Chicago couldn't manage uh, a single uh, goal situation apart from the penalty that they did score. Um, they managed to get a red card after that, and Celarachan uh, scored the, the third for Belgrano. Um, for Nueva Chicago, it's going to be really hard without um, Gomito Gomez, their mm-hmm. superstar and uh, legend player. Isn't He's like 38 or really? something. They're thinking of bringing over Daniel Montenegro, uh, Rolfi. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's quite close to the Chicago team that will surely um, lift their, their, their game and their spirits as well. Uh, such a big name player to come into a small, uh, mm-hmm. small barrio team. Uh, but they looked ages away from... Uh, from Belgrano, who didn't have a particularly good match, but they still uh, won it with ease. And Salarachan's form, I thought it was uh, something of note as well. He's he's a really good player who's yeah. surprised me Two with his skill as, as well as his yeah, goal. Like, yeah. like mm-hmm. I think he's ca- carried on, or even more so, the form that he showed in the transition, mm-hmm. and obviously, understandably so, in in the summer when so many, well, I know Independiente for, for sure were were interested in yeah. <laughs> making him one of their attacking signings but I think Belgrano obviously have done very well to keep him in Gordon Christian Gomez uh, the Nueva Chicago legend um, who some of our listeners will be familiar with because he played at DC United Colorado Rapids and Miami FC in the United States uh, is 40 years old he was born on the 7th of November 1974 and he made his Nueva Chicago debut in 1991 which means that his career has spanned the whole of the short championship era, um, which is quite impressive. I think only Julio Grandona's career did that, <laughs> uh, apart from him. And uh, he has done his uh, meniscus or cruciate ligament or something. He's out for about six months. So as Santi said, it's going to be a big loss for Nueva Chicago, um, for whom he is possibly the, the all-time legend, in fact, or certainly one of them. Um, Owen T. 
his son is on the team as well, I didn't realise that. In the middle of 2014, he made history by playing an, a competitive match together with his son Gabriel after uh, Chicago had won the Primera Bay Championship. Of course, they're another side who got promoted into the Bay Nacional just last year and came straight through in six months to the Primera. Um, I don't think there are any major other talking points. I suppose we should spend some time on the Clásico, Godoy Cruz against San Martín, but it was fairly unremarkable, really. Yeah. 1-1, Malbec and Sierra drew. Um, and we will have to wait, of course, for round 24, the, the round of the Clásicos, uh, before we get to see whether uh, either side can... can Finally, leeway in that particular fixture. The crowd trouble seemed to take more of the headlines than anything else. Oh, you're right. The yeah, they were stunning the San Martin bus before they went in or something, yeah. weren't they? But then they also found some bullet holes in the bus as well. Mm. <laughs> Rather worryingly. <laughs> Indeed. Um, I'd, I'd like to make a short comment on the River match because uh, we forgot to mention Piti Martinez. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, he's been brought over from Huracan um, this season. This was his um, second or third competitive match with. Um, I think he made his debut, mm-hmm. I think. In the second leg of the Red Copper. He plays like he's never left Huracan. I mean, he was really good back in Huracan, and, and he's, uh, he's showing his form like he's, he hasn't moved an inch from his, um, his old team. And he gives a nice mm-hmm. bit of uh, just something maybe the, the, the River were lacking in the last campaign, although obviously they were tremendous uh, and they played some really nice football. But he is a slightly more creative player, maybe, than Pisculici. Uh, I saw somebody, um, I think somebody just got retweeted onto my timeline, rather than somebody I follow, um, making the point at the weekend that uh, Pisculici is, is a wonderful player. He's got a very good shot from outside the box. But as a number 10, he's not, sort of a, a, he's, he's not a pure playmaker, let's say, yeah. whereas Martinez really seems to be. And with Martinez... With the two Martinez's, let's call them the Martinez brothers, even though they're not brothers, um, Tomas and uh, the new one, Gonzalo, and Piscolici River have got a nice little um, the amount of variety as well as cover in that position now, I think. Um, they've, they seem to have signed well, because I was uh, impressed by Machado as well in what we've seen of him so far, which obviously isn't much. He, um, he was uh, not too good on the 5 0 defeat, which I'm sure you don't want to talk about. No, but, but I mean. <laughs> It's uh, a friendly, I don't... <laughs> okay, um, but uh, I think Piti Martinez... I, I, I don't pay too much attention to, to whether a player is impressive in the summer friendlies, especially when they've only just signed. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's once the competitive stuff starts, and after you've really... Okay, after you've had a few weeks to get to know your teammates, at least, I think is, is more valuable. For that yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, but um, Piti Martinez, I, I think he's a lot more dynamic than, uh, than Pisculici. Obviously, it's got to do with age. I think he's 21, yeah, and whereas Pesculich is like 29 or 30 or something. Mm. Um, really promising. Indeed. Uh, we're going to play some music now. When we come back, we will discuss the Argentine sides in the Copa Libertadores. With the, now that the group stages are all sorted, because I think Estudiantes qualified mm. the night after we recorded last week. Um, and how we think they'll do. So, don't go away.
only the Todoros groups, we may as well just go through the groups very, very quickly for all of them. Um, and ask, first of all, gentlemen, who do you think are going to qualify from these groups? Now, do bear in mind that uh, this is an Argentine football podcast, and with the exception of the fact that Peter also runs a Mexican football blog, we are astonishingly ill-informed about nearly all of the non-Argentine clubs. So, first of all, Group 1 is, uh, doesn't include any Argentine clubs. Independiente Santa Fe, Colo Colo, Atletico Mineiro and Atlas. That got started last night with a 1-0 win for Independiente Santa Fe away to Atlas. Who do we think is going to qualify from that group? Mineiro have won it a couple of years ago. Um, they have a strong enough squad. Prato, right? Prato, yeah, yeah. Um, I think they should be a shoe in yeah, for the second. Then to win the group, and then. Uh, well. I'm going for independent. They're going to say they've put themselves in a pretty good position having already won away. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Group number two is San Lorenzo's group, and I think it's fair to say. Group of death. The group of death. Uh, San Lorenzo begin their campaign on Thursday evening, as I already said, away to Danubio, as Peter quite rightly reminded us. And the other two teams in their group are two Brazilian giants, Corinthians and São Paulo. Um, I have a funny feeling, as I said to Mariano earlier on Twitter, which didn't please him too much, uh, that San Lorenzo, the holders, might be going out in the group stage. I think Corinthians and São Paulo could nick that, but of course, I, as we say, don't really have any idea how they're doing. And nor does anybody in Brazil, because the state championships are on at the moment and they're essentially meaningless. Um, but it's certainly an interesting group, and with the Corinthians and São Paulo playing each other... Tonight. Uh, oh, later on tonight, that should be good fun. Might disappoint my girlfriend when she gets back for dinner and tell her that we're watching a Libertadores game, even though there's not an Argentine side anymore. Um, that'll be interesting to see. Of course... San Lorenzo very nearly didn't qualify from their group last year in the Libertadores and they ended up doing all right out of it. Um, group three is Cruzeiro of Brazil, Mineros de Guayana of, of Venezuela, Venezuela, is it? Yes. Uh, Universitario de Sucre of Bolivia and Huracan of right here in Buenos Aires. Um, I have a feeling that Huracan, who of course qualified for the Libertadores by virtue of winning last year's Copa Argentina from the second division before getting promoted, uh, I think they could sneak out of that group. Yeah, definitely. Um, Crusader and Huracan, in my opinion. Huracan so are in really good form. Uh, I know that they lost to Union, but um, Toranzo is... Uh, he He's always been a player that showed great promise, but there's always been something or, 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 or other that's uh, kind of slowed him down, personal problems as well. He's a, a bit of a troubled genius, hmm. um, if you like. Um, but he's, hmm. uh, he's hitting his stride. And it's uh, it's a pleasure to to watch him when he's in good form. And of course, uh, one of my favorite players in Argentine football, Juan um, Chope Avila, uh, this big man that they have as a number nine. He's two meters tall. He's what's, what's his actual first name? Because I always forget. Everybody just calls him Juan Chop for oh, reasons I'm not even sure about. He, uh, apparently, he looks like uh, the famed number nine of Costa Rica. Juan Chope, Pablo Juan Chope. He doesn't. He doesn't look like him. He doesn't look like him at all. <laughs> but apparently, someone in the uh, in the youth squad called him Juan Chope once, and it's just stuck. He's uh, Ramon Ramon Avila, and and he's uh, this strange big man, big number nine, uh, who you would think that this guy is a target man, and he's got such great skill with the ball that it's a pleasure to watch him play. He's uh, he reminds me a bit of. Um, Fabiani, when he was in good form, you know, this huge man just 
doing magic on the ball and kind of doing a panencas on the penalties. It's it's really fun to watch him play. If it is to do with physical resemblance, I mean, <laughs> I don't want to sound like a racist, but he's not even black. <laughs> he's just as black as you can get for a man from Cordoba, I guess. Well, maybe, but. <laughs> I, you know, I don't subscribe to the view that there are no black people in Argentina. There are many black people in Argentina who just don't recognise that they are Afro-descendants. But he's not, he doesn't look at all no, in any way no. <laughs> like Paolo Wanchop. Yeah. Um, I say he looks a bit like Adam Sandler. <laughs> Maybe. Okay. <laughs> that gives you an idea of how he unlike. doesn't <laughs> at all. But it's a lot closer look, than, than Wanchop. He's got the ears. So. <laughs> anyway. Um... That's Orican's group, and we think they could sneak out of it, presumably along with Cruzeiro. Um, in Group 4, we have the strongest, who managed an away point, or away, uh, an away result in the Libertadores for only about the third time in something like 40 away games um, in the qualifying round. Emelec, both of those two have started with victories. Uh, Emelec beat Universidad de Chile 1-0 away from home last night, and the strongest, blimey, the strongest beat three, uh, Internacional 3-1, of course, in La Paz. Um, I have it on good authority from a friend who is a Brazilian football watcher that watching former Manchester United midfielder Anderson trying to play in La Paz uh, was quite an experience. He apparently had to be substituted after about 35 yeah. minutes and then grabbed the oxygen mask straight away. Um, so Emelec and Internacional, often, uh, sorry, Emelec um, and the strongest after winning starts, Universidad de Chile and Internacional losing. The strongest aren't going to get out of the group, though, are they? Surely. Brazilian football is in such low form that all of these um, Brazilian giants, uh, it, they're just a big question mark to me. Um, the last Libertadores, they didn't even manage to get a single team into the semifinals. Mm. Uh, Tim Bickery's great article on the ESPN FC, uh, he, he wrote about this. Fine uh, website, which you should all visit on a daily basis. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Bra Brazilian teams and Brazilian football in general. Uh, Seems, seems to be hitting an all-time low. So, so we're going for the strongest in Emelec to get out of that group now. <laughs> well, you mostly don't think I have to say, I only, only called the first half of their match last night, uh, but they didn't look very good at all. All sorts of problems at the back. They're it's going to be really tight. It's going to be tight anyway. Yeah. Uh, the okay. other match, Group 5, um, is Boca Juniors uh, group which of course as we say the second half just started and they're leaving Palestina 1-0 the other two teams are Montevideo Wanderers of Montevideo which is the capital of Uruguay ladies and gents and Zamora of Venezuela see I did tell you that Boca got an easy draw didn't I this is the group of life I'm going for very 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 confidently I'm going for Boca Juniors and Montevideo Wanderers to edge their way out of this group it's going to be Boca on top and then the yeah. least worst of the other three indeed Montevideo Wanderers uh, started with a 3-2 win over Samora last night by the way at home in group 6 River Plate Juan Aurich of Peru San Jose as we said of earlier of Bolivia and Tigres of Mexico I'm going for River to win that group possibly uh, whilst getting the first seed for the whole knockout stage um, in other words the highest points tally um, in the group and if they can edge a victory tomorrow night against San Jose in what will in some ways be the trickiest match because it's at altitude I would not be entirely surprised if they won all six matches if they can keep up their Sudamericana form 
go on, disagree with me, somebody. I'll just it's you very difficult to disagree when you look at that group. <laughs> I mean, it, it does look like an easy group for River, but then again, there's a lot of travel to be done in this group. Uh, yeah. they, they have to travel um, to Bolivia, to Peru, and then to Mexico. So It's one thing that uh, Sebastián Blanco, the um, uh, West Bromwich Albion playmaker, who's currently on loan at San Lorenzo, said to Fox Sports, or TSA Sports, one of the two, a couple of days ago, uh, was that he would prefer to have a difficult group with very little travelling, which is what San Lorenzo have actually got, because the furthest yep. they've got to go is San Paolo, um, to an easy group with a lot of travelling, which is what River have got. Now, obviously, there's an ex- to an extent, he's talking bravely there, and he's trying not to show that he's cramping himself at the prospect of uh, having to go to... Yeah, but it's not just about the, the, the Copa games themselves. It's it's about how your planes are going to respond to mm-hmm. midweek games when they, they may have um, also important um, matches, local league matches uh, on the weekend, and they have to do a lot of traveling. So um, it's uh, it, it does look like an easy group for River, but, but they may get out of it um, in not, not in the best yeah. form. Mm-hmm. I think when it was made, that was the one thing that you would say about River's group is... It's not ideal given the long distance they have to travel, but River didn't really lose anyone over the summer. Added in, like we've already men- mentioned, some decent acquisitions. Mm. We already know quite a lot about their very good youth side who come in and complement the the first team very well when they're called upon. And I think yeah. if Cachado, um, you know, shuffles his pack a bit more than he did during the transition he should be able to juggle the the league here and that group anyway I mean the um, knockout stages are a different matter and the early su- uh, suggestion is that he has learned something from not rotating perhaps until it was a bit too late to challenge for the double last year because uh, we're expecting the only two players who started at the weekend and who will feature tomorrow to be Marcelo Barrovero the goalkeeper and Carlos Sanchez, who, as everybody knows, has got a third lung um, and runs around like a madman. Um, what can you tell us about Tigres? Do River have to be wary of them at all, Peter? Obviously, the Mexican sides that are in the Libertadores aren't the best Mexican sides because they have to go to the CONCACAF Champions League. Yeah, and Tigres aren't even in the best form anyway. So, I mean, I would be very, very... As I said last week, I think, briefly, I'd be surprised to see any of the Mexican sides in the Libertadores mm-hmm. do anything. Um, what's interesting about River as well, I, I don't know if you mentioned it on the last podcast, but they've been, um, after the U- under-20 championship in Uruguay, which uh, Argentina won by a nice margin, a, a lot of those players were um, River youths, and uh, many of them had uh, a rough time when they started off in the Primera, such as um, Simeone, um, Mamana, Tomás Martínez, um, really young players who... Uh, the, the physicality of the of the game was uh, was a bit hard for them, and now that they have a lot of confidence after this uh, big win in Uruguay, then uh, it's uh, even if it's players that Gachardo already had last year, it, it sort of feels like uh, they're coming back with more strength and um, looking forward to to being part of this team. Yeah, and a little bit more experience as well. Um, Group 7 is Atletico Nacional, the runners-up in the Copa Sudamericana last year. Um, Barcelona, Guayaquil, Guayaquil, sorry, in Ecuador. Libertad of Asunción in Paraguay. And Estudiantes of La Plata in Argentina. Who do we think is getting out of that? It's even. A lot of travel as well for Estudiantes. Not as much as River, but still um, going to the northern part of 
South America twice. I think Atletico Nacional are in the, as good as in the knockout stage already. And I think it's going to be between Estudiantes and Libertad for the second spot. Yeah, I fancy Estudiantes to get yeah. out of there. Yeah, Estudiantes yeah, are, are a Copa team. Yeah, I think they bought pretty well as well over the summer. I think, you know, the, the, their game against Arsenal on Monday night was not a classic. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was they, quite Estudiantes won, but I think before the match we would have all suspected that would be quite a narrow game. Um, no, but I think Estudiantes will... Yeah, I think Estudiantes uh, have one of the biggest um, win ratios in Copa Libertadores history. I think they yeah. played something like seven and they won four or mm. something like that. So it, 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 uh, it tells a lot about how they're uh, equipo copero, as we say. Of course, what they haven't done uh, is win a Copa Libertadores without a man called Verón on the team. <laughs> And Juan Sebastián's son is just a little bit too young at the moment to yet be playing for the first team. So maybe that will play against them. But of course, he's the club president now. So does that mean they're even more likely to... I'm very confused. Uh, let's move on to Group 8, which is, as we said earlier, uh, Racing got a very good start with a 5-0 win away to Deportivo Táchira. And generally, I think Racing can count themselves pretty lucky, be pretty happy with their group as well. There's a fair bit of travelling. Um, but the other two teams in the group are Guarani. Uh, who are one of the smaller Paraguayan sides and are currently 1-0 down to Sporting Cristal at half-time at home and Sporting Cristal who haven't been in the group stage of the Libertadores for at least a couple of years that I can remember um, I'm going to go for Racing and Sporting Cristal let's say to get through there Racing and one of the Racing yeah. and one of the others yeah. <laughs> who really cares right um <laughs> So that is your hand of pod in-depth preview of this year's Copa Libertadores. Um, so all of the Argentine teams, except for the champions, are going through? Yes, that's okay. definitely what's going to happen. Uh, and yes, that is all you're getting, unless uh, some of our listeners have asked a question about it. I think the, the two teams that are in any risk of not going... not it, That makes it sound as if the others are nailed on. But I would <laughs> say the two that you would question possibly would be San Lorenzo and Huracan yeah. for completely different reasons the two rivals ironically yeah yeah, yeah. I mean San Lorenzo just because their group is very difficult Huracan because they're the weakest of the Argentine sides yeah, yeah. Um, for now ladies and gents we're going to refill our glasses I'll play you some music and when we come back we will answer some listeners questions don't worry Santa we've still got loads of time before you have to go off and play football questions section uh, the first of these ties into what we've literally just been talking about while that music was playing in your ears dear listeners um, because it is from Rob Brown and he asks which was better Dwight York and Andy Cole versus Barcelona or Milito and Bull versus Tachira in particular I suspect with reference to Gustavo Bull's was it Gustavo Bull's second it was wasn't it because he no it was, it was, it was Rassi's second and his first yeah, yeah. Um, amazing goal just oh. There was a free. There was a throw in, and the ball was played in from out wide. Melito stepped over it. Ball played it back to Melito, then set ball up. And of course, uh, it reminded Rob as much as it reminded me when it happened of uh, the York and Cole double act in the Camp Nou in nineteen ninety eight to ninety nine. 
Um, I'm going to go for Colin York, but I have to admit that there's quite a bit, uh, a big part of that decision that has to do with the fact that I'm a Manchester United fan. Uh, I suspect Bull was somewhat more spectacular. Just for the finish, I think we'll know. Think they sort of flick it up and then whack it on oh, the body. Yeah. Did he flick the it up? Or tried to take his knees out. Did he really flick it up, or did he do a, a, a sloppy control yeah. and then volleyed it into Without the corner? Yeah, I think it was. Fisher, I think with the left foot, it came off his left foot yeah, yeah, slightly yeah. in the air, and then he cracked it instinctively with the right foot. I refuse to believe that he was like, <laughs> I'm just going to make this even more elaborate <laughs> by flicking it up. But it was yeah. certainly, uh, I thought it was actually better than his hat-trick goal, which was the one that Santi described earlier, where he crashed it in from, the ed- from just outside the box. Um, Look up Racing's goals against Tachira because there were a, a, the first one. First of all, was not Luciano Lolo's goal. I refuse to believe he touched it. Yeah, yeah. It went it through did. his legs, and then he celebrated it. Certainly, but I don't think he touched it. I think it. he did. Yeah. But uh, it, the replay is completely did, inconclusive. There weren't slow enough. It hit, it hit the the uh, goalkeeper's legs. Yeah, when it went through yeah. the goalkeeper's legs. And, um, and Milito's finishing his goal was um, he he was a bit nervous. You could mm. tell he was nervous from their their first Libertadores match. Just. I uh, wonder whether and it was pass, the pass from I wonder whether, Bo, he, was, uh, whether he was pass. wondering for a second whether he was offside or not because yeah, he, yeah, he, he was a mile behind the defender he was also nowhere near offside <laughs> because he ran through the defenders moved up so fast uh, and Rob's second question is how long is it before Pablo Daniel Osvaldo punches a Boca teammate a month <laughs> yeah well it's generous if anything isn't it <laughs> in a week uh, Rene Gisela says holy red cards Batman and how about Tempele's nine men coming out with the points against Banfield Slightly misleading because Tempele actually had the second of their red cards after the goal had been scored with about 10 seconds left of the match. Um, but indeed, yes, lots of red cards in the division and in that match in particular, they did very well to come through, as we said earlier. I didn't actually watch that game, but what did you? Did anyone see that? Because no, I've still not seen it because I was coming back from, or no, I was at... Yeah. The other game. No, no, I was just curious. I've not to seen know. it because there were two other games on at the same yeah, time. Exactly. The Football Paratolos YouTube stream for that match had problems and uh-huh. it wasn't running properly, so I was unable to watch it at the same time as watching yeah, okay. the other two matches. I was just curious because obviously, Banfield last season were one of those sides that were quite easy mm-hmm. on the eye at times, but yeah. ultimately failure. <laughs> failure. Um, but still, I. I at home to Thembley you kind of expected them to have a, a, a decent start to the season and that's even worse well, than I imagine yeah um, no, I but as we didn't see it we can't really comment <laughs> Inverted Winger asks what do you think Javier Pastore could have done differently to fulfil his potential I guess he still sort of can um, all of those words were Inverted Winger's words by the way it wasn't me adding the last comment although I do agree with it um, I think Maybe have just taken advice from different people and made a couple of different moves. Possibly not gone to PSG. Yeah, not gone to PSG, I guess. Uh, for the money, presumably. <laughs> um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but uh, yeah. He should have played in one of the big and five, also, right? Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe have just come through five years earlier. <laughs> I just get the impression that football changed towards the beginning of his career. Yeah. and for a playmaker who's going to just be a playmaker and not close down so much so it's not quite as much um, leeway these days as there might have been if he'd been five years older uh, he also asks Inverted Winger also asks that he's not Javier Pastore asking uh, do you think Otamendi could be the defensive rock for Argentina that every World Cup winning team needs let's hope so I'm looking at the Argentine in the room now ah, let's hope so um, 
um, I have a lot of confidence in Mamana for Russia 2018. He's really, really? young, but um, he's a really, really promising. Uh, I don't defender. think he's finished mm-hmm. yet. No. no. Um, he's 19. He's, of course. he's very raw. Yeah, but I've just there were other defenders in the um, Sudamericano. I thought who were who looked more complete to centre backs. So, you know, they're all under 20. They're a Colombian guy. I can't remember his name, but he he to me looked better than Mamana. Mm-hmm. I like Mamana. I think he's very good. Um, I think I Russia think, might come a bit. Mm. Even though it's still some way off, because I mean, he's the man is still some way off the river first 11. Yeah, hopefully, he won't be sold. That is a river first 11 containing no, no, probably four center backs who would. No, I mean, I think River have got incredible options in that position when you think of like their backup option played at the weekend, and it was uh, Belanta and And yeah, I mean, those two would walk into virtually every other mm. side in the country um, so that's the only I think that will hold him back uh, in but some regards they're also going to have to rotate a fair bit yeah, yeah. no it's good semester, at least, so he's he going to get some games and next semester because they're in the Copper Sudamericana as well as the Libertadores and I hope that he's, he stays with the River for that reason and gets some of those games rather than some European team thinks oh this central defender from the under 20 South American winning team oh let's buy him and just stick him in the youth team for as has also years. of course happened with uh, Thiago Casasola the, the Boca yeah. Juniors the youngster is now at Fulham um, and also played a part in the Sudamericano so they look very, very good as well so you'd say um, Rojo and Otamendi for Russia is Rojo playing as a centre he's playing as a centre right in Manchester right he's certainly playing or trying to um, I think the exact specifics of his role uh, better left uncommented on, but yeah, no, he's he's normally more more often than not he's playing in the middle of defence, mm-hmm. um, which is where he's more comfortable with. But Gerard is still only going to be what thirty, thirty one yeah. in Russia. Yeah, uh, I mean, I I don't think that Rojo is as bad as I thought he was a year ago. This isn't because I'm a United fan; it's because I've watched the last World Cup, basically. He impressed yeah. me there. But if you're going to stick Marcos Rojo in the middle of defence and have him as your main strongest centre back. Then you're not. You haven't got a very impressive centre back uh, mm. lineup. And I speak as a fan of a club who he is probably the strongest centre back at present. I think Rocco could potentially look very good for United next season when they inevitably go and spend about. When he's got somebody much better than him alongside mm. him, you mean? Yeah, or especially even more so if Van Hal's still still the manager in his preferred three at the back, and mm. it's Rocco on the left of those three with potentially two world class. Defenders in among him, I think he yeah. did look very, very good. Uh, indeed, we shall see. Uh, but as to Otamendi, maybe. But um, Argentina really, I think, need some other options as well in that area. Uh, Liam Kelly, no relation, says Crucero del Norte's pitch looked like it hadn't been cut in weeks. Gustavo Alfaro said that they say that playing at altitude is easier than playing on Crucero del Norte's pitch. Is he right? Now, we need to say something here, because Gustavo Alfaro, on Saturday, after the Crucero del Norte Tigre 0-0, came out and said, you know, it's ridiculous, I've never played on a pitch like this before. And it turns out that, in fact, Gustavo Alfaro, I believe, was in charge of Arsenal, or possibly playing for Arsenal, when they were in the second division and played against Crucero del Norte on that pitch. Uh, I think Crucero del Norte is like 10 years old, and Arsenal... Crucero del Norte were founded in 1989. 1989. There might have been some overlap, but Gustavo Alfaro was a manager way, way after Mm. that. 
I saw a couple of people mentioning on Twitter that they were fairly sure that Alfaro had played a bit of a, I, I assumed with Arsenal, mm-hmm. but maybe with some other club, uh, who had indeed played in a way match against Crescero del Norte before, oh. and their pitch has always been like that, of course. We've got another goal for Boca. Uh, so you think that Palacios, Palacios, they haven't cut their grass in their whole history? since 89 quite possibly mm-hmm. there's no FIFA rule against it apparently well there is a FIFA rule regulating the colour of the pitch which has been broken so many times when you think <laughs> of the number of you know completely charred pitches that the games have played on but there is no FIFA rule uh, regulating the length of the grass so I would have thought a ruling would have been also, more also Boco Unidos when, sorry to interrupt you but Boco Unidos when River were in the second division I remember their pitch being very uh, lush as well, shall we say? But Wouldn't a rule be be more sensible against having long grass than the colour of the grass? Yes, I mean, it probably would be, wouldn't it? But <laughs> you're, we're talking about FIFA well, now. Well, what would be sensible? Um, That's Palacios again. So essentially, it, it, it's definitely going to have an effect. And as I sort of asked earlier at the, at the start of the show, is this going to mean that Crucero del Norte they have an unexpected fortress up there in Garupa in Misiones? Uh, quite possibly they will because some sides are going to struggle to to adapt fully but they've had a big wake up call now as well the rest of the Primera are aware of what they've got to do and maybe treat it like a waterlogged pitch and just go aerial or whatever if they need to Um, are we then going to see some of the other relegation strugglers follow suit and let their (laughs) grass grow come up with really weird things (laughs) on your pitch maybe not not just long grass because that's too predictable but all sorts of other peculiar things maybe spikes scorpions Mm. Mm -hmm. Dead cats, as we had on the wrestling pitch for such a long time. Um, those are all of the listeners' questions. So, the next music that you hear will be Mystic Sam's theme music, and the next voice that you hear after that will be Mystic Sam's voice telling you how all 15 of the matches from, uh, from in the coming weekend of football are going to go. Don't go away. I sent in a cheeky question, but you didn't. Oh, you um, sent it to me, to that's the, why. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're quite right. Uh, Santi did send in a question, and the question was let's see whether you can remember it, Santi, because I've forgotten it. Um, it's funnier if you read it like it's someone else, right? Santiago <laughs> Muniaguria, let's see whether I can find it in my own mentions code. Uh, Santiago Muniaguria, somewhere down here, has sent us a question asking. Asking, come on, was only a couple of hours ago. My mentions column is, is full of retweets from that Boca fans stoning their own bus thing that we mentioned earlier, as I said. Um, how did Defensores de Belgrano fare in their Primera B Metropolitana comeback match last week? Santi, do you oh, want to answer yourself? I'm curious. Um, yeah, it was a very dull nil-nil draw. Home to the Patio <laughs> Riestra. <laughs> So you've asked the question just so you can say it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just want to mention Defensores on the podcast every time that I can. Mm-hmm. There we go. Mm-hmm. How do you think they're going to do generally this season? Um, they, they were champions of their zone in the transition on the fourth division last Group. year. Um, group. Not group. Zone. Okay. Zona A. Well, yeah, group. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's going to go quite well. Um, it's, an, it's an action-packed um, De Metropolitana. I like the B Nacional, which is filled with newcomers and strange teams that we have never heard of. 
you you have uh, quite a lot of big teams on the Metropolitana this year as well, so it's going to be interesting to watch. Indeed we do. When we have a bit more time, once we've got used to this 15-match Primera, we're going to try and make some time to talk about the lower divisions this year as well. But they're essentially, the lower divisions are basically the same structure as they always have been, um, just with teams who are all sort of half a division higher than they otherwise would be. Yeah, but the thing is, um, the uh, when they had to push ten teams up from the B Nacional to the Primera, they had to push ten teams from the B Metropolitana and the Argentino, exactly, and they yeah. did only three from the Metropolitana and seven from the Argentino. So you because have you've got to federalize Argentina. That's it. Um, it's true, and, and the Primera B Nacional is really federal now. There's just teams that. And that, that's there. actually mm-hmm. a, a more notable. Um, a more notable, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Paradigm change, paradigm shift. Carrying out of Carrying out. Julio Grandona's plan. Yes, mm-hmm. I was looking for a one-word thing in there, like, like I had a couple of furnettes and I can't remember it, um, to federalise Argentine football, then in the Primera. Yeah. I think he wasn't the, expecting... The look nature of the, the Bay Nacional. He wasn't expecting a lot of the big interior teams to do so badly. No. Like Atletico Tucumán or Independiente Rivadavia. Yeah. And, and many of them who spent fortunes trying to get to the Primera and, and couldn't get there. Um, right now, we really will play Mystic Sam's theme music and come back in a few seconds' time and give you Mystic Sam's predictions. So don't go away. Last week, Mystic Sam got eight. I think I got eight. I can't remember. It was either eight or six or seven. Somewhere around there. Um, out of 15. So, let's try and do better this week. Atletico de Rafaela versus Banfield gets us going. And I'm going to back Atletico de Rafaela to claim the victory. Independiente versus Sarmiento is on uh, Friday night, is it? I thought it was... Uh, Saturday or Sunday, as we had the conversation about this earlier, but it is. Oh, never mind, they're playing anyway. Um, and I think that they're going to have too strong an attack for Samiendo, Independiente, to win that one. As I get the mouse with the scroll wheel on it, it's going to be a bit easier to go down. Uh, Huracan versus Arsenal de Sarandi, I think, is going to be a draw. Both sides lost last weekend, and it's quite difficult to call anything on them, really, so far. Estudiantes versus Godoy Cruz. Should be a home win in La Plata. There has been a pause of play. Oh, was that a pitch invader? Yeah, like, uh, it seemed like he was attacking the ref. Though, was it? In Chile. Um, San Martín de San Juan versus Gimnasia La Plata. I'm going for a San Martín victory. Olimpo versus Racing. I think Racing for that one. I actually made that prediction before their result last night, but uh, I'm going to stick with it. Rosario Central versus Tigre. Tigre are going to get another draw away from home. Tigre are quite unlucky to start with two consecutive away matches. Vélez Sarsfield versus Crucero del Norte will be a Vélez Sarsfield victory, probably with another goal from Milton Caraglio. Tempele versus Boca Juniors will be a Boca Juniors victory. Uh, it's scrolling really slowly, this. Anyway, Aldo Civi versus Newell's Old Boys. Draw. Sticking my neck out of it, but. Wasn't too impressive in the awards the other day. Uh, River Plate versus Kilmes, probably the one of the easiest to predict matches of the weekend. 
but for rivers, uh, away match at altitude. But assuming that they do rotate, I'm going to go for River to win. Colón versus Argentinos Juniors, I think is going to be a draw between two of the newly promoted sides. Nueva Chicago versus Unión de Santa Fe, I'm going for an Unión victory. Lanús versus Belgrano will be a Lanús win. They got an away win last weekend and they have a very strong home record over the last year, year and a half. Defensa Justicia versus San Lorenzo, I think is the last match of the weekend. And I'm going for low goals and possibly a draw. Stick my neck out again. Um, those are all of the matches. Any particularly disagreeable predictions there, gentlemen? Um, news. Yeah, I think Newells are going to beat Aldo City. They just didn't look like a fully formed team. Lots of new players there. And um, against Vélez, it was a really big, it was a below-average Vélez team and they still did manage to hold the ball for, for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. And I think Newells, um, they should start getting into form. And what did I say for Arsenal, Sam? Did you agree or disagree with that? Um, yeah, I think it's um, that Huracan's uh, midweek match may also uh, make them play a few of their uh, not regular starters. Midweek match next week, you mean, when they start yeah. the Libertadores? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, Meaning that they have their uh, Libertadores debut after, what, like 30 years or something? They, they may be saving some of the first players for, for that. So um, I'm, I'm hopeful for Arsenal's chances in that game. Peter? In the panier? Same. Uh, I agree with your prediction there. I think Sarmiento at home mm. has to be has to be a, a victory. Tough start for Sarmiento though, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. River yeah. home and then away to Independiente two yeah. of the big five. I guess if you're Sarmiento would you rather get those two matches out of the way quickly because yeah. it means that you're going to have only easier ones from there on in almost but at the same time, both together, it's not particularly good for morale to two rounds and you're going to potentially be sat at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Zero points, potentially a, not a particularly good goal difference. But, yeah, well, I think that's on, on the flip side of that, maybe you can get some encouragement if your attacker at least managed to get three yeah, yeah, goals exactly. against Independiente's poorest defence. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, and talking of Sarmiento, we, we didn't mention, but we probably should, their young playmaker, uh, another Martinez, who was slightly overshadowed by Rivers Gonzalo on the day, but, uh, sorry, not Martinez, Sanchez, sorry, another Sanchez who was overshadowed by Rivers, Carlos Sanchez, um, but Nicolas Sanchez came up with a fantastic lobbed assist for Hector Cuevas for the Sarmiento goal, which pulled him out to 2-1 fairly early in the second half and sort of made it competitive for some time before Teo Gutierrez decided to start playing later on. Um, that, I believe, concludes your appearing very intently at the screen, Santi. Um, I was uh, seeing if uh, there's this guy that plays in Sarmiento. I watched him a million times in the Defensores pitch and I was seeing if he's still in the Primera squad, but it seems like he's not. What's his name? Um, he's... The, uh, Suleta. He used to play for Arsenal in the um, end of the 90s and beginning of the 2000s. Um, Redhead, uh, he's a bit of an offensive playmaker. Um, Nice player, but he definitely hasn't made it to the Premier squad. A shame. A shame. Um, um, Just before you finish on River, um, Teo has gone back to Colombia, hasn't he? 
Teo has gone back to Colombia uh, with the permission of River's technical team um, for personal reasons. Alright, that's. We don't know what those okay. are. Uh, he will be back on Thursday night, yeah. which, funnily enough, is when River are playing in. Uh, on Rural. I was going to say La Paz, though, but it's not La Paz. Uh, he was going to play anyway. No, no, exactly. Yeah, he was going to be rotated out of it, which I suspect is why he wanted to uh, to get back there if he could uh, this week. That concludes this week's edition of Hand of Pod, ladies and gents. This has been brought to you in association uh, with Argentina Independent, an English language news source of news, uh, as news sources tend to be, uh, from across Argentina and indeed Latin America. You can visit them free of charge, subscription free, at argentinaindependent.com. We thank them very much for the booze. And for now, to them and to you, we say goodbye for another week. First of all, from Santiago. Goodbye, everyone. And welcome back, by the way. Thank you. It's been a pleasure having you again. Uh, from Peter. Goodbye. Welcome back as well, Peter. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, perhaps not quite as uh, long between visits in your cases for Santi. And goodbye from me. Goodbye. Goodbye.